It always comes back to dragons fucking humans. I don't know why on this the podcast, but it always God does. God damn it. Hello, and welcome to House of Bards. Uh, I'm Alex. And I'm Beth. And this is our podcast about role-playing games. It and is, And yeah. the shared narrative style of uh, RPG management and running. This episode um, is really a, a Beth episode, I think. It is, yeah. This is this is um, typical fantasy tropes. This isn't by any means a comprehensive list of every trope. You'll find in high fantasy specifically is the stuff we're talking about today. Um, you know, we're certainly not going to... This isn't an extensive list. This is just stuff that you will probably come across um, and either you will write or you will use as inspiration, you know. Um, because... And this this is really applied to the Dungeons & Dragons specifically this episode is this specific set of tropes because Dungeons & Dragons is high fantasy. It's very, very often high fantasy, yes. Very often. I believe that like some of the um, alternate settings can stray into... like other kinds of yeah like things like spell jammer and dark sun are maybe a little variant from the yeah. like, traditional um lord of the Rings style high fantasy mm. and we will definitely cover things like gothic fantasy uh swords and sandals which is your kind of greek roman ancient times fantasy stuff and we'll definitely cover all those maybe one day um but this is pure high fantasy this is princesses in towers this is the evil overlord this is chosen one shit this is medieval europe um but high fantasy does actually cover not just specific medieval europe settings stuff like um avatar the last airbender kind of counts as high fantasy despite being set in a very asian um setting but yeah this is very much a discussion of tropes how to not do these tropes if you don't want to do these tropes how to change these tropes and play with these tropes if you want um, that kind of thing presumably play right into these tropes if you're going for like a pretty cheesy uh samey narrative for like yeah familiarity and comedic effect there are reasons you'd want to do that yeah absolutely there was absolutely nothing wrong with creating the most cliche cheesy fantasy story if that's what you want to do if that's what you're going for that's fine there's nothing wrong with that genuinely there isn't <laughs> fair enough what do yeah. you got for us beth um i think we'll look at our heroes first and I think a very common one tends to be the chosen one, or chosen ones normally in the case of role-playing games, because there's normally more than one player, um, normally. Um, like, not only normally, but like expected, required, um, recommended that you have more than one person <laughs> on this adventure. Anyway, the chosen one is someone who is chosen to a higher calling to go on this quest, on this, um, you know, they are the foretold one. Maybe there's a prophecy of some sort, but they are the chosen one, um, essentially. That's what they do. That's Their job is, I am here, and I'm going to defeat the great evil. And you have reluctant heroes, certainly, um, but this is all very much for your players to decide whether they're going to be reluctant and whether they're going to refuse the call. But Weirdly, like this as a trope, I have not seen turn up a huge amount in Dungeons & Dragons. No, not You'd really. You'd think it would, given yeah. how, like typical it is of the genre but it really doesn't mesh well with the like free will party structure yeah. that most D&D games have going on. Yeah. And there are certain things you can do to play into that but it, it requires I think discussion with players and stuff like that because you are this drop does directly interfere with the character specifically. Um yeah. Yeah. Uh I do know that like in my game at least pretty much all of the you are the chosen one type setups that have happened have been subverted in the sense that the chosen one is not like chosen at all as in like for instance jay is Ardskill's heir yeah the like direct descendant of well, basically the uh, the mother of modern elvish uh, governance and and of the empire means Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. No. It's literally just a lineage thing. <laughs> yeah. Galliena is the first uh, elf to be able to use the old magic in thousands of years. She's not the prophesied 
second coming or the chosen one or any shit like that. It's she's just a genetic anomaly. Yeah. It's it doesn't mean anything and it's I feel like if you have characters who are prepared to choose their own destiny and see their own meaning in what's being given to them, that's the more powerful choice. Yeah. Um but a fun way you can play with this and I have actually seen this in a few games is the unchosen one. And this is where um the chosen one either is absent or missed the call and instead you've got this loser running the show. Um, now this does show up in Dun- like I've seen this show up specifically in one game of Dungeons and Dragons where the actual heroes didn't show up. They died on the way to the tavern. Um, and this is the one where I played the Drow Ranger. Um, and the guy gathering everyone assumed that we were the adventurers, um, and we we weren't actually those ones. We <laughs> we were. So you compl- became the adventurer replacement bus service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that that very much fit in with the theme of the thing which is you know you choose who you want to be and you can even choose to save the world if you want um this is also the same one with um the evil cleric who wasn't really a cleric so that was um yeah but you know the unchosen one is a trope that i really love that doesn't really show up in fantasy enough unless it's specifically comical but i think you can do this in a serious way if you wanted to fair enough yeah uh, another trope, I think, is the prophecy. The prophecy ties quite well into the chosen one. It does, it? yeah. Unless uh, it's about something else, but it very rarely is, to be honest. Now, prophecies... We were discussing these briefly on the magic episode of whether they broke time because they could see into the future, but actually... We received a comment on that video indicating that the commenter did not believe that they broke time magic so long as the prophecy was immutable. Yeah. Um, because there was no actual benefit gleaned by the actors of being able to know the future because it was always going to happen. And I think in, like, fiction, that's fine. Well, I mean, like, you know, in, in books and, and, and movies and whatever. Uh, in interactive games, that's probably less fine because... Yeah. The problem with including prophecy in your games is that you have to take a view that the prophecy might come true. Yeah. Because if it's a bad thing, your players are going to make every step to make sure that it doesn't come true. And at some point, you're basically going to have to account for the fact that they might succeed. Yeah. And it can be done. Like, if you manage to, like, pull something from behind the scenes uh, when they think they've won... And just make the thing happen anyway. Well, yeah. Well, see, prophecies are always self-fulfilling anyway, and that it's always this sort of thing with exact words, isn't it? Like, uh, no man of woman born can ever defeat me. And then it's like, ah, but I am not a man. I was a woman all along. Oh, if you want to be boring like Shakespeare, I was born by C-section, which I don't think technically works. But okay, Whoa, come whatever. Down there, Tolkien. <laughs> No, Tolkien was right. That was bullshit. Shakespeare pulled some grade A bullshit on us, okay? That's not... He was right. A woman should have killed Macbeth. Just saying. Yeah, um... It's... I think, like, um, immutable prophecy is... Like, if you telegraph immutable prophecy to your players, that's pretty much the only time you can pull a railroad on them and you might get away with it. Yeah. If, like, the prophecy were always going to happen. But you have to be going somewhere with that. Yeah. It's not enough just to use prophecy as a means to like do something that's going to make the game unfun for your players. Yeah. 9 out of 10 prophecies in Dungeons and Dragons never come up ever again. That's a fact. Dentists mm. can corroborate that. Yeah. It's much much easier to talk about like prophecies about things that either will not come true in a time frame that your players care about, have already come true. Or are being, like, sorted out somewhere your players don't want to go. Yeah. Honestly, just don't involve your players in prophecy at all if you're not (laughs) willing to have some, like, thing to do if the prophecy gets broken. Of course, if there's actual, like, time travel involved, well, that's great. Oh, shit, yeah. Because, yeah, if if your players know that, then they immediately, suddenly, the, the tables get flipped and the players are desperately trying not to break the prophecy because they'll cause a time paradox. Yeah, I don't so know. You, you could play around with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but normally, in most prophecies, there's an evil or a great evil who needs to be defeated. Um, 
The Evil Overlord, oddly, is something that not a lot of Dungeons & Dragons games I've been in have had, because it's normally multiple evils doing different things, because I think multiple villains is more fun. There's not normally one big evil overlord in like big evil dark black pointy armor that sits atop a throne and orders um orcs around there's not normally that which is a shame i think a campaign could have that yeah definitely i don't honestly know if my world has one not really yeah my not i mean mine i guess kinda but like the odds of you ever actually fighting him are really like like slim and on so it's like You'd have to go down a really weird... Like, it's possible, but why would you want to? Most of the evil in the world can be in some way traced back to Skedrenth, but Skedrenth is a god. It's not... Like, I don't think gods count, really. Yeah. It's kind of expected of them. Mm. And then, like, the secondary, like, most powerful antagonist is Galliena, who is basically a one-woman show. Yeah. (laughs) Occasionally employing hapless pirates to go and fetch things for her. Yeah. Oh, I actually know that there is there is a bad guy who who is kind of an evil overlord esque kind of thing, but he's like he doesn't actually like the problem with being an evil overlord in all fantasy, right? Is basically they get sealed away for like a hundred years, don't they, or a thousand years or whatever? You know, they get put in a can and on a shelf somewhere. I don't know why the hero who initially doesn't defeat the evil overlord doesn't just kill them, but there you go. Well, sometimes it's explained that basically that was the best they could do at the time. Yeah. With the with the budget they were given and the time scale they had, it's a, it's like I can't kill him, but I can delay him. Yeah. Anyway, so and then he gets released, and instead of it being like, and then immediately he seems to gain all the power back that he had before, and I'm like, that's not how that works. If you haven't been evil overlording for like a thousand years, you have like loads of information to catch up on you have to completely reform your army again because anybody who followed you before is probably dead or doesn't give a shit and you like, skip you... leg day for a thousand years yeah <laughs> like you can't you, you know you've got to like take time and i don't understand why they always seem to be like all right i'm out now i will just completely do the same thing i did before it's like no no one who followed you before is around. I can understand if they were with, like, maybe a... Like, Voldemort, I kind of understand. Yeah, like, Voldemort took, him... took a little time yeah. to actually get going. Yeah. And also, the people who followed him before were still around. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Whereas, if you've been away for, like, I think anything more than, like, a hundred years, that's, like, you have to formulate a new plan. You have to start again. You can't just pick up where you left off, Okay. Yeah. And also, like, is the context in which you did your original evil overlording, like, even relevant when you get out of the can? Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Like, I don't get any evil overlords. Just sort your shit, get your shit together, okay? Evil overlords work much better in a linear narrative for, like, a book or a film than they, they really do. do. A bit, yeah. yeah, they do. Um... Although, the evil overlord structure is fun to think about when you think about, like, their henchmen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because then you're like, oh, I've got to give like a, a colourful cast of characters to like follow in this guy's wake. Ah, yes, the Ginyu Force. Who could forget? Mm. Which is actually sci-fi. I'm sorry to bring that up. Is, is Dragon Ball Z sci-fi? Fucked if I know, to be honest. It has aliens, I'm going to say, yes. It's anime sci-fi. It's poorly drawn, is what it is. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> Dragon is. Dragon Ball Z's amazing. No, it's not. Anyway. <laughs> Fight me 1v1. <laughs> um... Oh, um, Toilson's kind of like an evil overlord, isn't he? Well, he's not he really is. an overlord, as in he doesn't no. really have a huge amount of political power, but he's he's got the kind of, he's, like... He's, he's sort of just like an evil over, or like an evil lord. It's not really like an even overlord, is it? But he is, like, um, templated off uh, the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. If you go right. and find... Uh, it has to be a specific edition of this book, but if you go and find the... Not the most recent cover of that book, but the one before that from like 2001, 2002. Uh, that's what Toddleson looks like. Right, okay. He's just got a really square head. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and a goatee beard. Right. And he turns into a dragon sometimes. Yes. These are all qualities that an evil overlord could have, but I, he's yeah. just a disgruntled prison warden. Yeah. It's <laughs> that's, that's great, yeah. Uh, anyway, go on. Um, we've got the good versus evil trope, which... I mean, is almost implicit in like any straight up Dungeons and Dragons story, of course. Yeah, it's 
even, I mean, unless, like, sanctifying the rules a bit. Yeah, good versus evil is a pretty typical trope. But, you know, it's good overcoming evil, good fighting evil, the evil within themselves, that kind of a thing. There yeah. isn't really much to go on with this. Good versus evil it does what it says on the can. Unless, of course, if you have an evil party, then it's evil versus good. But normally it works out evil versus worse evil, which I think is always way more interesting. Mm. Uh, like, in the... Is it the third Pokemon movie or the second Pokemon movie where Team Rocket decides to team up with Ash and the gang to stop the apocalypse? I can't remember which one it is. I'm pretty sure it's the second one. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Um, the you king. Enemies, Beth. Yeah, the the king, the good king, or maybe not. You know, who tends to rule the kingdom? In most fantasy, there's only ever one kingdom normally that you interact with, and it's normally the white one. Um. Let's be honest right now, it's it's always the vaguely medieval Europe one, and mm. you're dealing with the king there. And either he's a bastard, or he's not. Uh, you know? Sometimes he's fat, sometimes he's a fat king. I haven't and... revealed the king of Varash to you people yet, have I? Have you not? No, you haven't. I have no idea what he looks like or what he is. One can presume he's probably like a normal, like, alive human. Yeah. Uh, but whether he's really fat or, like, really thin and old... I don't know. Yeah. But not a lot of other kings elsewhere, no. and not uh, a lot of... Actually, not a lot of good heads of state, full stop. This has been remarked to me that my setting has very, very few, like, <laughs> non-cruel, um, oppressive heads of state. And in fairness, there is a reason for that. Like, yeah. in canon, there there is an actual reason why you're unlikely to get a benevolent head of state for very long. It's it it is actually lampshaded. Fair enough. In, yeah. in like an actual like part of the setting, uh, which can be got rid of ostensibly, and then you you know you might start getting like better leaders. But no, pretty yeah. much all of the leaders, like the original um, president of Meslin, was all right. Oh he yeah. He always gets yeah. murdered. Yeah. And is that yeah? Like, the new one ostensibly is also all right. Yeah. After the intervening period where like Nazis. We're about to rule Meslin, that was bad. Yeah. That was that was pretty bad, yeah. But the heroes always save the day because it's 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 good versus evil, you know. Yeah. I mean the weird thing about this the king tro- the king trope is you never have a queen and I've it's never it's always like the lone king and normally a dead queen. Yeah. And, and then, if you like, do have a queen, then the queen is very cruel, very disconnected from re- reality, very vain, and has a ridiculous, like, rough. It's always a ridiculous Elizabethan-esque rough. Yeah, it's like, it's a bit unfair. It's like, the ki- like the king, he can either be a f- total fuckstick, or he can be quite a decent guy. But he's always in his, like, vague mid-50s, early 60s. Oh, and if we, like, if at any point things start getting, like, for serious and it's dark and you have heads of state having to make difficult decisions about things, it's always a king. Yeah. Always a king. It's never a queen. I, I don't understand why there aren't more queens Unless, in things. Unless, like, you count um, Danny Tardigrade or whatever the shit she's called. I don't watch or read Game of Thrones. I don't da- know. Danny Tardigrade? What? Daenerys Targaryen? <laughs> Yeah, she makes a lot of serious decisions. Fair enough, yes. Daenerys I just counts. don't know like how much actual queening she does. Yeah, she does a fair amount of queening, yeah. Um, the direction of her in the show isn't very good because she's always very deadpan. Whereas in the book, she has like emotions and shit. And she's al- she's also 14 in um, the books. Yeah. But I, for, of, I think for reasons they couldn't have her be 14 in the show because of what happens to her in the first season. Which would be kind of bad, and not even HBO would touch that. Right? Not even HBO would touch that. No, um, which don't that topic's coming up. Don't worry. Anywhere. Wait, shit. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. Come anywhere. On. But yeah, it's and you never get like you you never get like child kings because most kings in history and most royalty in history tend to be quite young. Anywhere. Well, like, yeah. A child king was actually a pretty normal thing. Because everybody was, like, dying of syphilis and shit. Yeah. like Especially royals, because they went and fucked everybody. Yeah, like, Hen- Henry VIII's really, like, quite I- impressive, because I think he died in, like, his 60s, didn't he? That's pretty mm. impressive for, like, royalty, to be fair. Yeah. Because normally they, like, die when they're, like, 25, in, like, some kind of horrendous, horrific, either accident, assassination, or of dysentery. There was a reason, like, why um, our queen is either 
coming up to or has just surpassed Queen Victoria for, like, living to an entirely achievable age that, honestly, a lot of humans can get to. Yeah. Like, there just hasn't been people before who yeah. have, have had the... who have, like, been royals and have been able to, like, live a really long time. At least not in this country. I yeah. believe there are a lot of other countries that have us beat. Yeah, yeah, sure. Although the, most of them are phasing out their monarchies, yeah. so... If yeah. we hang on, then we, we will have the longest. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, though I do have to point out that actually in England, I think we've only had a few kings die in battle, and I think the last one was Richard the Third, who we found in a car park very recently. Um, I don't think it was a car park when he died in it. It wasn't a car park when he died in it, obviously. <laughs> it wasn't just that he got he, he went like out for some biscuits and like some fruits. And and then it, he got jumped by some hooligans in the car park. <laughs> oh my god! King Richard the Third actually died in a street fight. Tell your friends. <laughs> he he didn't. He died in battle on on horseback. Yes, battle anyway. in a street fight. There was a horse involved, probably. Most likely a police horse that came to stop the fighting. <laughs> I am a scientist. <laughs> anyway, um. I think we had one king who almost died in battle. I don't know. This is a really gross story. Um, no, he didn't almost die in battle. He got really fat. I think this is William <laughs> the Conqueror. He got really fat in battle. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. Did I they think just this get is... like this hose that was full of like <laughs> dripping and just stuff it in? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Right. Rewind. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. This was William the Conqueror. Um, and this is how he died. Um, he was going to go to um, a health camp. They had those back then, believe it or not. Um, but he was really fat and he was on horseback and his horse stopped all of a sudden. And it like, he kind of hit the, the horse in a weird way that his like stomach ruptured. And I think <laughs> he then, and obviously then he died of his injuries because of like all the internal injuries. It was and a then saddle he, like, pommel. Um, yeah. And then he like blew up and then he like, obviously, because he was dead, he bloated. And he got and he got full of gas. And as they tried to put him in his grave, he popped everywhere. And that's a true story. I love English history. It pointed out that like the stomach of the body released some of the like gas inside it. It's not like yeah. the king just like exploded into viscera <laughs> while they tried to put him in the coffin. And there yeah, was just was none the, of him left. There was, was, re- there was a reason why he exploded. Yeah, like it was. Yeah. <laughs> Any. Jesus Christ, anywhere. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's going to show up in your D&D campaign. Hopefully not. Um, well, we had that thing with Silas recently. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. It didn't actually happen, but somebody did say to him, like, if you try and absorb magic like that, you will just swell up and burst like a balloon. <laughs> that will happen. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Because um... <laughs> what he was asking to do is basically, like, just sitting under the tap and trying to drink all of the water out of the tap while not understanding how taps work. <laughs> uh, oh, we should really provide some context for this. Okay. What's the next trope? If we're uh, lost heirs, the kind of um, was it man in the iron mask kind of type thing? Well, like the prince has been lost or the princess has been lost for many times, and we have to go and find the princess or prince. Uh, normally the princess is actually forcibly kidnapped and put in a tower, which is crap, but, you know, they go, or sometimes you were the prince all along. That See, kind of shit. I have these. You know I have these. Yeah. Jay is one of them, kind of. Kind of. Uh, Galliena is definitely one of them. Yeah. But Galliena is less the princess has been kidnapped and more the princess has had her citizenship revoked and there'll probably be a succession crisis involving her, which would be really bad because she's really evil and she wants to murder all of us. So we're not entirely sure what she would do with being Empress if the Emperor died, but it would probably be bad and we would probably all die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is al- this is always a good idea for quests, I think. If, like, oh, our princess has been missing and we kind of need her back because we're pretty sure that the probably king, it could be a queen, is going to die soon and we need someone to succeed and we haven't been able to find her. So you heroes can go out and find her. Um, I did encounter one where um i think a bodyguard from a foreign land was looking for a princess and this was a player um and because it was like a new group every week this is the west marches which you can watch on youtube if you want um the princess had died previously 
in a total party kill. So then next week, the bodyguard was like looking for the princess and like found out that basically at the end, the princess had died and he was like, oh, well, I fucked up. I wasn't a very good bodyguard. Um, and there you go. That's it. Howard's had like a succession of three characters, all of whom were siblings. <laughs> and like, well, no, 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 it wasn't all of whom were siblings. The third sibling turned up later in a different game. But all right. the first two were siblings where the like really famous rock star sibling was sent after the plainer like angry that my brother is a rock star type sibling who had gone off to make his own adventure and got killed and then later like a bodyguard sent after both of them turns up when my second character died <laughs> so yeah lost heirs rescue the princess res- rescue the prince there aren't many princes who get kidnapped and put in a tower um recently on tumblr i reblogged that thing about the gay dragon who like keeps kidnapping the same prince over and over again and then someone was like, are we okay with the idea that, like, a dragon and a human are presumably having sex with each other? And we were like, yeah, we are. We love this thing. Because mm. Tumblr. But yeah. Fair. Fair. It always comes back to dragons fucking humans. I don't know why on this the podcast, but it always God does. God damn it. <laughs> I hope people do actually send you, like, their theories on who the dragon from Dragonheart would fuck. Yeah. We can now actually reference that now. Yeah, because um, it's finally because... been in the technical difficulties episode. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of tropes out there. And these aren't an exhaustive list. But um, here is one that I like to call Medieval Europe is not and wasn't as edgy as you think it was. I don't know why in Medieval Europe settings, but they're kind of okay with things like you know, slavery and rape being everywhere and lots of gore and stuff, but the women are always completely shaved. And I, I, I'm like, that wasn't a... Th- like, I'm like, yes, abs- yes, Daenerys totally has completely smooth underarms, even if she's been in the desert for years and years. And I don't know why. But yeah, um... Rape this kind of is- sounds like the sort of thing that, like, that would imply that medieval Europe is more edgy than you think it is, because evidently at this point the, the counter-cultural attitude is no... This is the realistic way this person's body would be in this set of situations. It's a good, yeah. Also, edgy as in people have better access to razor blades. Um, Fair. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, it's just like, you know, the whole rape is realistic thing, and it's like, no, not necessarily, not necessarily. No, stop that. Like, I mean, like, the reasons why people objected to it in some of the, like, source material time periods is a bit more gross, but. Yeah. It's still, like, people were not okay yeah. with it. It, it. There's a lot of, like, context stuff that needs to come up, but no, generally, like, if you rape somebody, that's still some sort of crime. Yeah, and it, it like, th- this is a very complex topic because, yes, this is something that happened, but just because it's something that happened, it doesn't mean that it has to show up in fantasy over and over again. It doesn't have to show up in fiction over and over again. Um, and generally when it actually happened, there was a point. Yeah. So really, if you're going to include this in fiction, there needs to be a point, and the point has to be stronger than just underlining what a shitbag a particular character is. Yeah. Especially if that character then has a role in the plot that, despite them being a shitbag, kind of makes them important and impossible to get rid of. Mm. Then you're like... just creating a bad story that everybody hates. Yeah. It's it's The thing about this is, yes, it happened, we know it happened. We don't necessarily need to constantly see it happening, essentially. Yes. Generally speaking, like, the fact that it did happen is sufficient. You, you yeah. don't need to show us it happening. Like, generally, there's a lot more trust that can be put into fictional characters as to whether or not something happened, and you generate any doubt of that fact. So, if you get a voice character to say it happened, it happened. Yeah. That's, that's all, you know. It's... We can go on from that point. Hey, Let's talk about Mad Max Fury Road for a bit, because... I yes. have not seen Mad Max Fury Road, even though I wanted to see it, I never got to the cinema. So why don't you talk about that film in a non-spoilery way, Beth? I absolutely will. So, like, yeah, rape is a thing that happens in this movie. You never actually really see it on screen, and that's a good thing, but you do see the after-effects of it. You see one of the characters is pregnant, you see the chastity belts, you see these women desperate to get out of the situation that they're in, and you see women who fight for these other women to get out of this situation. Like, you don't necessarily need to show the act of rape, but you can show the consequences of a world that does rape. And that's normally, you know, horrendous things like, you know, 
children of rape, um, the I, you know, women fighting up against it and being stronger, like together and fighting against all that kind of horrendous, horrible stuff. You know, there's a difference between depicting things that are misogynistic and reveling in misogyny. Mm. Because I know if this video gets popular, if like at some point this will be brought up, um, you can't just also like switch the gender of the victim of the rape and have everything be okay. Yeah, it will change that's... the cultural context, but you are still depicting sexual assault. Yeah, um, And also, um, generally, if we can bring this back to role-playing games, yes, it's not really a very good idea to depict a sexual assault happening live at the table. Not only is it really an inappropriate thing to bring into that space, but you have to know the lives of your players really, really well to know whether or not that's going to be a really touchy subject to bring up. Mm. Like, people... We, we are very much... We, we very much, like, endorse the idea of uh, D&D and similar RPGs as this fairly serious undertaking of, like, collaborative storytelling. But at the end of the day, people play role-playing games to have fun, to enjoy themselves, to get engaged, and to... You know, engage in in a bit of escapism, and I honestly feel that that particular subject is so so risky when it comes to like the personal lives of your players. That just don't don't really because there are like whatever it is, whatever role you want that particular act to fulfill in your storyline, there is something else that will have the same effect that mm. is probably less risky to do. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Um. Moving swiftly on from a fairly heavy, serious topic, um, mm. there's black people weren't invented until the 1960s as a common misconception. I hope you realise how silly that statement is because it's meant to be silly because black people have kind of always been a thing. <laughs> this is really fun because, like, to me, like, this is a thing that it's... There's kind of, like, an epiphany associated with this, I guess. In that if you, like, constantly believe, oh, hey, in, in Europe there weren't any black people until, like, well, at least the early 1800s. Yeah. But then, once you realise the really, really obvious reason why that's bullshit, it becomes, like, so, so clear. Let's think about this for a moment. What happened in pre-medieval Europe that might have dispersed at least small pockets of black people and people of other non-white races around Europe? Think about it for a moment. Think about it. Who was marching around Europe depositing pockets of, of different cultures in different places where they didn't necessarily come from and making them stay there? And what then dissolved later on, thus leaving most of the people it had culturally displaced to just sort of integrate into the cultures where they were currently living? It begins with R and ends with Omen Empire. Like, it's, <laughs> it's such a silly concept, the idea that, like, there is only, like, th there were only white people in Europe and, there were all, and the black people only lived in Africa and the East Asian people only lived in East Asia and the Middle Eastern people only lived in the Middle East. Yeah, it's like, obviously, it's, like, those were the, the, the ethnic concentrations yeah, in those places, but it's not That's it's not still an true today, thing. but yeah. You know, it's not an exclusive not thing. Absolutely not an exclusive thing. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's even more ridiculous when you talk about um historical stuff set in America and it's like no, why are all these people what, like America is one of those countries that has never ever been majority white anywhere like mm. to be like to be honest cuz you know the white people weren't there to begin with um you know they were you know they they essentially and by the, the time that they'd taken over they were building all of their industry on slave labor so there was yeah. never really a point where the, yeah, like it's it's very strange when you see something set in America and it's mostly just white people because it's like no, that's bullshit. And for a lot of people, maybe this doesn't break the immersion or the what is it verisimilitude? Yeah, of the setting. But for me, it does. Right, this it it like if I don't see a single black person in something, it's ruined for me because I'm like that's bullshit. Black people exist. Okay, right. It's... This is honestly a thing that I would encourage you to try and try and read fiction that does it well. Um, mm. f fantasy fiction uh, involving um, largely like non-white cultures is 
perhaps difficult to find in the mainstream, but I feel that there are plenty of, like, fantasy universes that do have, like, just, um, even just, like, uh, analogues to existing cultures of people of mm. colour that yeah. that would, like, have at that point. Because this is the thing, it's not like at the time um, there was just Europe and its small pockets, uh, like, you know, largely... Uh, white population and then like small pockets of people of color everywhere and that was just sort of all cut off from the rest of the world that was just like you know going around and and like intermixing or whatever it's like we in europe we traded pretty heavily mm. with people from uh the middle east and from uh africa and all of that sort of thing and there was you know there was a lot of of inter uh continental stuff going on mm. i am sort of reminded of that episode of doctor who where they go to Venice, and um, one of the main characters they interact with that is a black merchant, and someone complained, "Oh, this is politically correct history," and I went, "Actually, it's really it's not." Fucking Venice. Yeah, like it's Venice. It's I'm one sorry of like to break this to you, but there were black people in Venice. <laughs> it's like, isn't Othello about Venice? Yeah, I think so. Or is that the Merchant I know it's of Venice? I mean, it... I'm pretty sure the Merchant of Venice is about Venice, so I might be I would wrong. imagine. I, I mean, I know, know Othello's definitely set in Italy, I think. Othello is definitely in Italy. I don't know yeah. if it's necessarily in Venice. And yeah. around the point where Shakespeare was writing, it was at least marginally relevant to make the distinction. Hmm. Because Venice has always been a bit, like, honestly a bit like London, in that it's kind of culturally distinct from the rest of the country, and everyone who lives there is a knob. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but... It's, you know, like, um, there was recently a documentary um, on Channel 4, actually, about London in medieval times. And not only surprisingly how diverse it was, but um, lots of, and how it kind of built modern London today. So there are good documentaries to watch if you want to get inspired as well. Mm. Um, You just need to look around a bit. Like, please do remember as well that if you look at, like, modern media and how much shit gets whitewashed all the time, and it's basically this, like, load of... Even the historical stuff is basically this whole load of, like, middle-aged white men in positions of political power talking about themselves all the time. What makes you think history was any different? Like, there could be a whole load of people just going around under the people writing the books' noses, and they're so fucking self-absorbed that they're not even going to pay any attention whatsoever. Mm, like... And just not speak of it, even if they do pay attention. Yeah, um... So yeah, and there definitely there's certainly fantasy stuff that is set outside of medieval Europe, and I think that that's always really cool to check out. Um, I don't, I can't obviously list any off the top of my head, but I might compile a list of things of recommended reading, um, and we'll pop it in the description below. Uh, note that I won't have read all of these um, because I don't have time to read books anymore, <laughs> which is really sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Um, as far as like RPG settings go, I know that AD and D had a uh, a pair of settings, um, one based on the Far East and one called Al Qadim, which was based on the Middle East. I'm pretty sure that because it was around the age of AD and D, that the like most of the source material for them is gonna be a bit racist. Yeah, like maybe well, just a bit, but I don't know. I have never played a game in either of them, but I do believe that those settings do still exist. And if mm. like GMs wanted to make up stuff in them, like at the very least, I feel that if those settings do exist, then the source books for them will probably have like a lot of stuff in them about this is the kind of like aesthetic cultural signifiers you're looking for, as well as the people. Like this is how this yeah. is different from a normal like yeah. bland uh, white European setting. Yeah, I. Even you know, even medieval Europe is still a very diverse place, especially more Absolutely. cosmopolitan areas. Your capital city is going to have a mix of people in, um, mm. and also people did travel. Like it's not mm. travel is a documented thing that happened. People went places on boats and stuff. Yeah, it's a thing. Bear yeah, bear in mind. Um, we I mentioned this a little while ago, but uh, Shakespeare writes quite a lot about this idea of a very very diverse Italy. And I think, like, Italy kind of makes sense because it's on the Mediterranean. It's accessible from a lot of the places where you would have a large non-white population, like, coming in, trading, staying for a bit, that kind of thing. So it makes sense that, you know, Italy and places uh, along the Mediterranean coast would be the kinds of places where 
that sort of thing would most readily happen, although obviously it happened in other places as well for the reasons we've already discussed. So that's that's still in Europe, and that's a thing that Shakespeare himself was avail- was like aware of, despite the fact that he himself never really left England. Yeah. It's the kind of thing, like... And think about all the stuff that you know about places you've never been. Mm. Like, that's not weird. So, but but think also that piece of, people from those places, like, you don't know about those places a huge amount past what you just sort of know from the news or whatever because you've never been. But it's not like people from those places can't come here easily. Like, quite yeah. a lot of the, of the means that they have of coming here are not really enabled by our modern technologies and, like, principles and sometimes even restricted by them more than they would have been at the time. Yeah, and as well, this sort of links back into the technology episode. Depending on the level of travel you have, um, which isn't always going to be exactly equal to medieval Europe, I know my world certainly isn't, they have things like trains and telegrams, despite it being abstainably you know, medieval. You know, people are going to be able to travel around the world a lot more quickly and visit places a lot more quickly, so tourism would have been a thing mm. as well. So yeah, um, so you can have a very diverse world if you so choose, I suppose, especially if it makes sense. You know, like the roles of black people don't just or shouldn't just be slaves in fiction, and um, the roles oh, of oh yeah, yeah, don't do that. We yeah, don't do that. Honestly, um, slavery. Um, I mean, it's much less uh risky than rape, I guess. Yeah, but and even so, that's another one that I would steer clear from. That's more of a personal preference thing. But yeah. I just feel that like stories about slavery uh, in like role playing games either devolve into basically the same story about the PCs freeing the slaves all the time, where the slaves are basically the same as pretty much any other object you could be asked to retrieve. It's just that there's some inherent goodness attached to their retrieval. Yeah. Or, like, really weird um, gross narratives where, like, the players kind of want to challenge the slavery, but it's a sort of background thing and they kind of don't and everybody's a bit uncomfortable for a while. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that kind of story is really going to slow down your game a lot. Yeah, I mean, slavery doesn't always have to be too bad in fantasy context because you can have not black people generally be slaves. It can be like a mixed group of slaves or like oh, yeah, non-human you can have like any slaves. demographic in, in yeah, like your but it... world be like enslaved. And also there are a whole load of like intercultural contexts in the in the real world where people were enslaved across some barrier or another and it hasn't always been ethnic yeah like sometimes um there's been like a class barrier Mm. sometimes it has been ethnic but it hasn't been like racially related Mm. um so that sort of stuff happens yeah oh it did happen um sometimes it happened more recently than we'd like Mm. but uh (laughs) yeah it's again we we always got really heavy to but yeah like you know, your black characters shouldn't and don't just have to be slaves. Um, I think the one thing I would say about this is that, like, obviously it's good to have the real talk conversation about all this, but mm. at the point where you establish that there are populations of people who aren't white in, like, in your in your world, in places that are accessible to the current yeah. like, place, even if you're not there at the moment, you can basically stop thinking about it a huge amount. Like, don't worry about it just think yeah. about like when you're introducing random npcs and you're going to be introducing a lot of npcs who like maybe have a couple of scenes and are never seen again yeah think for yourself does this npc necessarily have to be white yeah and like, like a lot of the time when you're describing like shopkeepers and whatever their race is never going to come up at all but if you're asked yeah. what does this character look like then you can tell them mm. I mean, I know there are quite a few DMs out there who are quite, who really do like to get into describing the appearances of people because that's what they like to do. Yeah. Um, and I've met quite a few random NPCs in my time. I remember we were talking to a Sikh um, security guard in one, um, and he was quite, he was quite a funny character because he just didn't care about his job at all. It was very funny. Um, it was like, yeah, I'm just gonna look away now, and uh, if you guys aren't there and you've uh, went past the barrier uh i guess there's nothing i can do about that because i don't care about my job and yeah well yeah it's that kind of thing it's like the security guard who doesn't care about his job is a solid enough character yeah and honestly does anything change about that character by making him a seek other than the fact that your story now has one additional seek in it that it was probably kind of lacking not honestly 
so you might as well do it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I would always recommend for players as well. Ask about the world it takes place in if you don't just want to play like a typical kind of, you know... Especially as well if, if you're um, a person of colour who plays Dungeons and Dragons and you don't want to play a white person, which I could t- totally understand you not wanting to do, because um, you want a character that reflects you, right? Sometimes I kind of feel that like people of colour who play D and D can probably use their own judgment on that, but yeah, I oh, guess oh, I mean, like, yeah, we, you can, we can yeah. say that you know if, if you were waiting for a sign, like, sure, go <laughs> yeah. for it. But I, I think yeah. a lot of them will probably figure that out at this yeah. point, and yes. it'll be like oh, yeah, yeah, because it's the thing where like <laughs> if you actually bring it up at the table, especially if you are a person of colour yourself, it's like they're probably not gonna say no because yeah. that would make the whole like. Group yeah, dynamic but, really yeah. weird, and DMs yeah. generally don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they yeah. would otherwise be a shitbag about it. Yeah. It'd be like, oh, okay. In which, in which case, if you are a person of colour playing Dungeons and Dragons, and your DM's a bit racist, find a new group, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, absolutely. There is absolutely <laughs> no shame in jumping ship from a group yeah. if that group is inherently hostile to you as a player. Like, the group yeah. dynamics and how you are treated in that group are important. Never yeah. feel like you have to stay in a group for the game yeah, if I, you're not comfortable yeah. there. I have been in groups where they I was the only girl and the other boys in that group weren't particularly, you know, cool about me being the only girl and I had a lot of microaggressions and that sucks. Um, so I found a new group. Never be afraid to go. These aren't the type of people I feel comfortable having fun with because... I don't have fun when I'm with them. Mm. And I would personally say, if you happen to live in a place where like not a lot of people do play D&D, because that is a problem people sometimes have, Skype games. Skype the great games, thing yeah. about games over the internet is that basically you can pick and choose your group. It's mm. not a case of like rocking up to the games club and seeing who's actually playing and trying to sidle into that particular circle. You can basically pick the, the appropriate... The Avengers? Yes. Appropriate pop culture reference to a hand chosen team you can pick as many teenagers with attitude as you want i mean i i pick my monday group yeah except jordan but yeah. becca was like oh, yeah. hey can can jordan play and i'm like i guess yeah and yeah, I, I really like the dude he has a strong yeah. solid character yeah I, I, John's the character great, yeah. he made um yeah i believe jordan he, he is, is on so strong character and he also made a strong character that's mm. <laughs> anyway, I feel like maybe we're getting a little bit off topic. Do you have any? We other are a little bit, yeah. We're getting a bit real talk, and we're getting a bit like, look, if if like we're unhanding a bit of advice. Anyway, um, but yeah, pretty much all of this real talk is probably going in the podcast because I'd feel like kind of a shit bag for cutting it out. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think another one, and this is this is just like one tiny little note. History was a lot gayer than you thought it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's actually really I- comical if you look at all the stuff that like historians will insist isn't gay. Yeah. It's totally gay. It's totally gay, yeah. Um, my Wait, favourite one... What's that painting where, like, the, the participants are literally engaged in the act of cunnilingus and it's still labelled on Wikipedia as, like... Is it, like, Sappho and her friend? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know the one you're on about, yeah. And it's like, I can see what is happening in this picture. You can't... Why would she have her face there if they were doing literally anything else? Like, I know people sit in weird poses in, like, paintings, but you don't... Why would you put your head there otherwise? And a lot of people would think, oh, but, you know, medieval Europe had, like, religious taboos about homosexuality. They didn't really. Not honestly. not really. Um, One of, in England, one of our kings was called uh, Henry... Is it Henry Plantagenet or is it Edward Plantagenet? I don't want to get him mixed up with his dad. Uh, if you're gonna talk about Gaveston, it was Edward. Edward, right, yeah. So, so, Edward was, like, he's probably, like, he was probably bi because he did have a wife and he had, like, children it's with that wife. It's like, multiple to children. divine from historical context yeah. who was bisexual and who just needed a beard. Or, like, yeah. not even a beard. Sometimes it was just, like, if you were a person in a position of power, having a wife was a thing that you did. Yeah. And then also and, you had other yeah. relationships. Yeah. Uh, and Gaveston as well also had a wife, and I think he also had a mistress. But look, these are rich historical people. That's kind of just what they did. Um, so it's always a bit difficult to go back in history, and it's like, okay, well, you know, the, my inherent feeling is probably that, you know, anyway. So 
I feel that in that particular situation, you could make a case for Gaveston being bi at least. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Because, like, some might consider the mistress to be kind of overboard if yeah. you were just, like, having a wife for the sake of having a wife. Yeah. M- mind you, I will say this about um, Queen Isabel, who was married to Edward. She was a fucking badass. Um, she absolutely was. Anyway, that's another historical detour with, with uh, Beth and Alex. Anyway. I'm just sort so, of coming along for the ride here. I know this yeah. story only very vaguely. I've seen a play about it. Yeah. Anyway, so Edward hears that he's been made king. It's kind of in the middle of a war. Um, Worst and... time to hear you've been made king because it likely means the previous king is dead for some reason. Yeah, and it's like, oh, shit. But, like, he doesn't even, like, really, like, mourn his dad or whatever. Immediately, he just turns to a guy and goes, right, de-exile G- Gavston. And they're like, oh, Jesus, not this shit again. Because Gavston had previously been made exile because, like, he was constantly distracting Edward and Edward was, like, a bit, you know, moony-eyed over him and stuff. They were very close. And the king was like, oh, God, just exile my son's boyfriend. Jesus Christ. He's a terrible influence on him. And he's really unfocused all the time. I just that just send him to France, okay? Send him to France. But obviously now Edward's king, and he's like, hell yeah, get Gavston back, yeah. Um, Dad's dead. No one can tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so like obviously you know like, and then it comes to Isabella and Edward's wedding. Um. And this was to sort of pro- proclaim peace between the French and the English, which. If you know anything about history, never lasts long. But oh like, yeah, another of... point. Uh, weddings amongst royalty very often politically motivated and therefore absolutely nothing to do with the wishes of the two individuals in question. Yeah. Anyway, so then obviously, and now now obviously you would expect it to be like Isabella's house flags and Edward's house flags side by side proclaiming unity. But no, all these people walk in. And they see Gavston's flags and Edward's flags side by side. And all the French are like, what the fuck is this? Right, we give you a really lovely princess and you're just gonna basically hang out with your boyfriend for the entire wedding? That is not on. Right, so immediately the French are like, this English king is just too damn gay for his own good. Okay. I know we're like bashing in Ed- <laughs> like in Edward's uh, side at this point. Yeah. But I kind of feel that, like, that was kind of an asshole thing to do. <laughs> it was a bit of, it was a dick move. Anyway, like, even Edward, Edward and Gavson, like, Edward and Gavson were probably, like, laughing about it later on, like, ah, yeah, we're totally, like, yeah, like, did you see the face on the, all those French people? They were like, ah, anyway. Something so... like made to me more than more, like, both of them were, like, the kind of lad, like, the yes. kind of utter lad that you would see, like, on Grinder. <laughs> yes. Yes, basically. Um, anyway. And you're like, wow, and... I don't want anything to do with this person. Yeah. Um, anyway, so these... <laughs> this, it sort of continues. And a lot of people are like, well, wouldn't people have something against, you know, Edward's homosexuality? And, like, not really. M- the main issue was that, like, G- Gavston was a bit of a fucking dick and he often gave Edward really bad fucking advice and Edward would always follow it. Um, and that Edward on his own wasn't really a very good king. Like, sorry to piss on him, but he wasn't a very good king and Isabella was a much better ruler in the end on her own. Um, Yeah. Anyway, eventually he died, Gavston Gavston died, and then Edward was basically inconsolable for the rest of his reign and then he died. Didn't one of them get murdered? Probably Gavston. Like, I feel like, like there was a poker involved at some point, but that may have been made up. Maybe. I'm pretty sure Gavston was probably Did Shakespeare murdered. made that up? It was the kind of shit that Shakespeare would make up. But I don't it know is the, the kind of shit Shakespeare right. would make up, but yeah. I don't know history. Ignore all of the things that I said about history before that I justified with me being a scientist because they're all wrong. Yeah. But, you know, they and a lot of historians think, yeah, these dudes were probably in love with each other somewhat. Or they they were at least really, 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 really close friends who sometimes had sex with each other. Take from that what you will. But yeah. I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of the story. Um, Like, it should be pointed out that, like, King Edward also, like, lost to the Scottish. Like, he's the king in Braveheart. Although Braveheart doesn't depict him particularly well in that. They they do make him, like, a poncy, like, vilified gay stereotype in that movie. But what were you expecting? It's got Mel Gibson in. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Um... I feel that, uh, like, we're going to feel bad later if we don't point out that in terms of, like, historians 
picking up on this and being like, yeah, these dudes are probably gay. That happens way more when these relationships are presented between men. Yeah, that's true. There's yeah. a reason for that, and you can draw your own conclusions. I think we've done enough real talk on this podcast at some point, yeah. but seriously, go and look up some of that shit. Yeah, it's it's always really funny. Um, are there any more yeah. tropes? We're kind of overrunning already. Honestly, that I think we can probably shoot it off there. So to recap... Um, we ran through some tropes, but mostly we just talked about, like, you know... SoCal Just Ice. Yeah, SoCal Just Ice. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, Lost Princesses, Dragon Slaying, Kings, Good and Bad, Evil Overlords, The Chosen Ones. It's weird how few of these tropes really fit very well into D&D, to be honest. Oh, yeah, it's true. Quite a lot of like... them are, like, really, really focused on, like, straight immutable narratives. Yeah, I mean, there are just... If you want, consider this an aesthetic podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there are. There is, like, there's also, I guess, um, the quest as a trope, which obviously does show up in Dungeons & Dragons, because otherwise, what the fuck is the point? Well, yeah, I mean, like, that, that, that is a trope, and that does <laughs> yeah. turn up a lot. Although, depending on the kind of D&D you're playing, I mean, obviously, the kind of D&D we like, it's much more likely to have the quest as a trope, whereas yeah. other ways of playing D&D will have quests, but they generally won't have anything as big as the quest, if yeah. you know what I mean. Because that's the kind of thing that like traps um, PCs in for a very long time. And yeah. If you're running with pre-published scenarios it's basically impossible to do unless you're willing to do some pretty major rewriting. Yeah. Um, I think as well, uh, I think another quest not trope is the tavern. I think these inevitably show up in like almost every Dungeons and Dragons game ever. Now, in fairness, that was a thing that actually existed. That is also true. <laughs> like, I think that's you know one of the main things they did actually get right in that like yeah. pubs existed and yeah. they were a pretty big social focal point. Yeah, but... and if you needed someone to I don't know retrieve a lost object, you could probably just look at the meanest, toughest guy well, it's kind in of the thing, tavern. Like, where are you gonna meet people who? are here from out of town and might be travelling out again soon. Yeah. At Tavern. hotels, duh. Yeah. Like, you're not going to find them in a house because they don't live here. Yeah. Like, maybe you'd find them staying with friends, but in that case, they have friends here, so they're probably going to stay a much longer time. If you're looking for people who are here but are leaving soon, you want to go to a tavern. Yeah. It just makes sense. But yeah, but uh, I think a lot of the other major high fantasy tropes we've honestly covered in other podcasts, like the magic one, the yeah. wildlife one, like... Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these things are like kind of sanctified in the rules of the game itself. Yeah, you've got to be you want to make a pretty big decision if you want to remove them. So we've covered that already. Yeah, there's definitely stuff in there in here for players as well. You know, if you want to make yourself the lost prince to the throne of Flibbity Gibbet, that's cool. I think that's always that's pretty cool backstory. You can make your character believe he is whatever you like. Yeah. Um. Try and work it out with the GM if you want to actually be the Lost Prince of Flippity Gibbet. Yeah. I think I already said on this uh, the, the podcast about the, the player who wanted to basically be Don Quixote. Yes, yeah. And I remember. Yeah, we we were able to sort that out eventually, and that's kind of a trope. Yeah. Well, D- Don Quixote himself is not really a trope, because Don Quixote mm. was like an actual character, and characters templated off Don Quixote are references to Don Quixote. They're not just like, this is a trope. But yeah. the whole very, very... Because the thing is, I think like Don Quixote can be what the players can be if the players make a conscious mm. decision to try and like live up to a trope. Because mm. like Don Quixote is supposedly trying to be like this really chivalrous paladin, basically, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So... But I mean, in there we have the knights and the paladins as well as kind of a high fantasy thing. Yeah, um... going on on uh, a grand quest for justice. Yes, um, you've definitely got your. Uh steal from the rich, given to the poor kind of rogue and ranger kind of Robin Hood-esque archetypes. You're a thieves with golden hearts. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the thing. You know, swashbuckling, swashbuckling pirates. It's all there. You know, there are the, so many tropes, so little time. But yeah, There's I, honestly I think... There's nothing wrong with having a character live up to a trope at least a little bit, because eventually yeah. what you have to come to terms with is most of the ideas in the world have already been done mostly by Shakespeare. Mm, yeah. It's it's not it's not really shameful to like want to you can mix and match them, but 
kind of, it's kind of good to have a reason for if you're like gonna go off the rails for something. I would encourage doing that, but oh, I feel yeah. that like if you just make a character who's anti like the antithesis of anything tropic for the sake of being the antithesis of anything tropic, not only are you gonna fail, but your character will be really really fucking annoying. Yeah, I mean that, that one of the ideas behind Wanda was that she was a subversion of um that you know has a girl in every part kind mm. of and that pirate characters you get it's kind of weird isn't it because it doesn't work quite the same way because of course she's still having all of the kids yeah but it is also kind of funny because like because that happens yeah she just like turns up at in nine months at like her old flame's house and just like thrusts a baby into their hands like this is for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I i think that was the idea behind this sort of character okay well what would a character like? Either this character is a lesbian, which is also cool. Maybe Wanda's bi. Fucking probably, I should think so. Uh, yeah, put it down. She's bisexual, right? It is law. Um, but even then, like when we were talking about the kind of person that Wanda should be, like actual historical analogs, yeah, who often get used as like trope templates for that kind of character came up a lot. Like, um, yeah, Granuel. Yeah, I've been practicing. Oh, well done. Um, who, honestly, I feel Wonder is at least marginally like. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's... it's um, You're never going to escape trope and cliche entirely. Yeah. So in... it's up to you to try and make whatever you make your own. Yeah. I mean, Jay's very much, I suppose, a bit of a swashbuckling kind of... Um, I don't know what Jay is. <laughs> Jay's a bard, right? Like and a giant spider and a giant spider sometimes sometimes but you know Jay's just this person person occasionally indignant and loud yes <laughs> crushing real mm. hard on a certain pirate we should probably wrap this up we will wrap this up this has been House of Bards uh, I am Alex and I am Beth um, if you need to contact us you can contact us on clever crumbish. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> and Baroness Bamp, if you have any feedback. That's on Twitter you... and Tumblr. That's on Twitter and Tumblr. And also, have... I am Cleaver Crumish on YouTube as well, but if you're going to contact us on YouTube, a comment below the video will be fine. Yeah. So, you know, just tell, you know, maybe tell us about what some of your favourite fantasy tropes are. Recommend some fantasy books and TV shows for people reading. Do all that sure as hell stuff. make our job easier. Yeah. And you might even have read some of those books, so you'd be in a much better position to recommend them than us. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, 100%. If you make anything for us, or you've got any nice feedback for us, it doesn't have to just be nice feedback, it can be constructive criticism. Um, Fair. Yeah, give it. Constructive, give it. mind. Constructive. I feel like not that's, di- that's. Not destructive. No destructive criticism. More important to, to say on this episode specifically, given what we've ended up talking about. Yeah. The intro and outro music was by Kevin McLeod. At this point, I don't know why I keep keeping in the bit about where I say what the album art is, because I haven't decided, and I won't decide until the very end of editing. You know this. Um, if there are any pertinent links from this episode that I can provide, I will post them in the description below so that you can check them out. So if you've heard something you'd like to check out during the episode, have a look down there in the description, and then when you don't find it, because you probably won't, because I'm a shit, just Google it. <laughs> Don't Google the spider thing from last week, though. That's a bad thing to Google. Please love yourself. Love yourself. I think that's us. So I think that is from all of us at House of Bards. uh, It's been great talking to you, and we will see you next week. Bye. I don't know what Jay was based off when I created Jay, but like the more and more I play Jay and the more Steven Universe I watch, the more I realise it's Steven Universe. I mean, Jay has... Like, <laughs> to an extent. <laughs> Jay has a absentee mother yeah, and a long-suffering kind of loser dad yeah, who they live with. Yeah. And Jay would absolutely pull the stunt from the time travel episode of Steven Universe. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And that point where Amethyst <laughs> turns up on drums, that would be completely Silas. 
Yeah. There's a hundred percent Silas right there. Yeah, I I think we like I think Garnet is a lot like Balthazar. I'm kind of to feeling it too. At least early uh, Balasar was was very much like Garnet. Yeah. And um, like Marion is maybe a slightly uh like less intense Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> For real, like maybe we're forcing this a bit, but like yeah, Silas as Amethyst works so well, so that's really the way you gotta you gotta swing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, watch Steven Universe. Watch Steven Universe. If if you take nothing else from this podcast and. I mean, that's probably bad, but also watch Steven Universe. Watch Steven Universe. Oh, yeah. Also, by the way, if you hate Greg after watching the episode of Story for Steven, you are not a human being. Also, shut the fuck up and never talk to another person again. (laughs) I have strong (sighs) opinions on people who hate Greg after a Story for Steven. 